Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Grow You podcast. Grow You is a podcast based out of Woodlands Church in Plover, Wisconsin. Our hope is to help you better engage issues going on in our culture with the truth of the Bible. If you have thoughts or questions, we invite you to continue the conversation online at the Grow You Facebook page. Come like the page and leave a comment. We hope you enjoy today's episode with your hosts, Matt and Nate. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to our next episode of the Grow You podcast. We're excited that you guys are joining us today. Uh, And this morning, uh, or whenever you're listening to this, I suppose, uh, we're going to be talking about race. And so we're excited to dive into that conversation and just see how um, the Bible speaks into it. And um, we have a guest here today, so we're excited about that too. We do have a guest. His his name is Eric Horman. He is a a beautiful, wonderful man. Uh, Eric, (laughs) would you you mind... uh, Introing yourself a little bit, rather than me ranting about you, you tell me about you, us. Uh, yes. Uh, hi, I'm Eric, and I'm on staff with Crew here in the Central Wisconsin area. Uh, and Crew is just a—it's uh, a Christian ministry uh, in many facets around the world. Uh, but I specifically operate on the college campus, uh, mentoring and discipling college students, and sharing the gospel uh, with them. Nice. Nice. That is beautiful. Yeah, today um, we're going to be talking about race. And um, in our previous episode, we talked about the art of conversation and how to approach conversations with grace and kindness in all facets. Um, And that's really, um, I mean, today's topic is definitely a topic in which we want to do that. And um, as we were brainstorming prior to this episode, and believe us, we're not like super deep brainstormers. Eric will tell you, if you asked him off the record, he would tell you, Matt said officially, quote, we don't really brainstorm. <laughs> but but with that said, uh, in a little bit of brainstorming prior to this, uh, we got uh, Eric shared a lot of great wisdom uh, in a very like gracious way of just who, uh, who God has made him to be and the unique place in which God has set him to uh, discuss uh, some of these issues. So without further ado, uh, let's talk about race. So uh, Eric, would you mind sharing a little bit of your heart um, behind why this conversation is important as a believer and um, where any wisdom you could share with us? And we'll, we'll interject with questions and thoughts and whatever. So go ahead. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of things that I'm passionate about stem from uh, evangelism and sharing the gospel uh, and I think of, uh, like, in the end of the Bible in Revelation, it talks about uh, in eternity we'll see every tribe, tongue, and nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, uh, like, race isn't really included in that list, uh, mostly because, I don't know how much we want to get into this, but, like, race Dive is, in, baby. Let's uh, do it. Race is, like, in, like a constructed, uh, like, social structure, uh, really to create power dynamics. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I've read, it stemmed from America and has bled into the rest of the world. Um, not that, like, I, I don't think we should ignore race um, because it's a system created by man. Um, mm, yeah. Race exists, uh, and it's something to acknowledge uh, as as part of, you know, something that needs to be healed by the gospel like anything else, um, at least the dynamics of it. 
but but I, I think of, you know, when we think of race in America especially, uh, a lot of people <laughs> think of shame, turmoil, hardship, um, or just, I don't even know. You know, people just don't know what to do. Um, or they don't even recognize uh, that it exists um, in some in a dynamic that's good or bad. Mm. Um, but I think, like, as we were talking about earlier, I think one thing that I really discovered, uh, especially here in America, is the this idea of, uh, like, American idealism mm. versus, like, actual history, actual facts. Uh, and I think when, especially when it comes to the race conversation, uh, there's a huge importance uh, in thinking that way uh, and recognizing, like, what's true versus, like, what, is ideal, uh, like maybe the, the idealistic heart behind an action mm. um, or a thought or a word um, is sometimes to a lot of people more important than maybe the facts. Mm. Um, I think of uh, like a, a black speaker that I heard uh, talked about, um, <laughs> he was talking about uh, the Colin Kaepernick flag kneeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if we want to go there. Um, do it. <laughs> but like he was talking about that and I was kind of like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's going there. And, uh, but he talked about, he just, he didn't like pick a side, um, but he kind of talked about how, you know, like we'll, we'll talk about the flag, like it, it, it can't hit the ground, uh, it can't be burned, it shouldn't be disrespected. Uh, but then he sees like the, the polarizing opposite dynamic of mm. uh, like his, his great uncle was, uh, like lynched and hung well. and burned and like cut down to the ground uh, and left for dead and like and so he's like like how do you how do you reconcile like a life treated that way versus like an object treated that way well wow. um and so he, like for him that was just kind of where he went with it uh and it was just like a whoa yeah uh because i'm not black i've never had to think Think about mm. think about life that way, mm. um, and why that dynamic might be difficult. But I think in an American idealism, we go like, "Oh, the flag is the ideal; uh, it represents the ideal. Yeah. Uh, we should treat it with respect," which I don't disagree with. Um, but I think to not recognize the the dynamic on the other side of that—that mm. uh, that, like there's a, a people group that hasn't been treated with respect uh, and and dignity, uh, and and that's—I mean that for. For some of the reason, I don't know if it's all, but for some of the reason, that was what Colin Kaepernick was trying to at least lift up. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and so it was just like a, an awareness moment, and it was kind of like a, yeah, mm. tough. Do you have a, another, I, I love that idea of um, thinking about history and what truly happened outside of what the motive was, because, mm-hmm. I mean, in our own lives, I'm sure we have all those things where we're like, oh, I want to do this kind thing or this good thing for whatever it is, your job, your, as a student, whatever, whatever it is. And then you go about and you end up hurting 10 people in the process because you just don't know Mm -hmm. how. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other examples from, I guess, from, since we're in America, American history that, that stick out to you that Mm -hmm. that could be used to help filter that idea Mm -hmm. through? And and maybe that's a a good time to dive into the topic of microaggressions. If, maybe that's too soon. <laughs> maybe we're diving into that too soon before we define terminology. I don't know, but sorry, answer Nate's question. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm riffing because you said a lot of great things just then. So. <laughs> I think, like, I think of uh, one of the first things that comes to mind. I don't know how like specific it is, but I think of uh, like when Martin Luther King wrote uh, the letters from a Birmingham jail, mm-hmm. and he writes to like like white church pastors, like that essentially were kind of going like, "Oh, your cause is good," but like. 
but like we're not going to do anything about it. Yeah. Um, and I think like for him, it was like a don't you see oppression happening? Don't you see people like being treated a certain way? Uh, like, but to those pastors, they were like, oh, like they were thinking maybe long term, like mm-hmm. if we step into this, like it's a mess. Um, we could hurt like our influence in the culture, mm-hmm. um, which, which isn't like a, a dumb thing to think. Like you do want to be mindful of longevity and yeah. like stake in, in a culture that you might have. Yeah. Um, but also it was like a, for Martin Luther King, it was a, it was just a tough situation because he felt alone. Um, that's something I think of, uh, and like, like historically we might, as Christians, we don't look back on, uh, like we look back on civil rights going like, oh, of course we would have been for it. Um, and, <laughs> but like when you, if you were to probably go back in time and have existed in that, in that period, especially as a majority culture person, you, you, you might not have been for it, uh, because a lot of like white churches weren't, weren't for it. Yeah. Um, and so that, like, that's an interesting dynamic to think of, at least when I think about it, I think like, of course I would have been for it. You know, of course, like we would have wanted equal rights. Of course, Christians were behind that. Um, but like they kind of weren't, uh, and like to be honest and say like, they weren't for it. Uh, majority uh, yeah. weren't for it. Uh, is hard to swallow sometimes. I think agreed. And that's and that's I just uh, based on a, a suggestion uh, by a friend of mine. I read a book called The Christian Imagination by a guy named Willie Jennings, and um, he's a he's a black theologian who wrote this. This book is kind of considered to be one of those like. At least on the academic level, it's like the the foremost text on like uh, origins of race. Like the subtitle of the book is um, the the theological origins of race, and it's a discussion on um, you know, as a as a pastor. Like I'm sitting there reading this, and it's discussion on uh, he approaches a it's a, it's kind of like a historical theology approach where he's not there's nothing systematic about it. He's highlighting. Um, Influential theologians in, like, freaking 1700s Portugal, like late 1600s Portugal, um, and colonization and uh, colonization of South America by Portuguese Spanish explorers, whatever. Uh, and it's so interesting to read his breakdown of race as a theological construct for some of these people not a positive theological construct, a super negative theological construct. Like his, his take is, um, and there's, I mean, there's, there's a million takes on this, right? He, he doesn't acknowledge race as a viable thing. Uh, by the end of the book, he really kind of doesn't. Functionally and culturally, he says yes, but theologically speaking, he's like, no way. Just in the sense of how these explorers would come in and um, skin color became a manner of classification for huge, huge um, statements about human beings. Like, they would assess uh, South Americans and Africans based on um, their skin color and say, like, well, this person, like, the darker they are, the less likely they are to be able to receive the gospel. Because culturally, what we've seen from as being white Europeans, what we see when we invade someone's actual, like, city and land and area of the world and 
educate them in white European culture, which is the right Europe, the right culture. That's ultimately that's the subtext of what's being said here. Um, they don't even like they they start to classify these uh, these people as like le- less likely or more likely to receive the gospel based on skin color, genuinely. And right culture in in your air quotes, yeah, like, in right, air, the right that's culture. air quotes, yeah, the right yeah. culture, right? Um, yeah. To them, and it, it sounds terrible to say this, but to them, like white culture was right culture and they would like uh, project this on people and you know, as, a, as a Christian there's that tension of like of course uh, worship of a, of a pagan god other than Yahweh is not good mm-hmm. but then there's the reality of like you can't you can't kill and rape people and then say like oh convert to Christianity because it's better for you like that's clearly not a that's not a theologically founded thing. That's a mankind founded thing, and uh, seeing historically, seeing historically, some of that tracing has like it, it hit, that hit me really, really hard. Um, knowing that, like, when you get to, now, when you get to the civil rights movement in the United States in the '60s, and it's like, and before that too, but um, really heating up in the '60s, like you see this, like what you said, Eric, that strange. That strange reality that like white white church leaders, white evangelical leaders, are, then ignore it, in in the reality of like yeah, I don't want to like dip my toes in the water. But like, can you imagine if somebody said that about abortion? Like, I don't want to dip my toes in the water of abortion. What? Like, wow, we should have those conversations, and that's a giant ethical crisis. But the racial injustice is in America at least is a giant ethical crisis, and it's influenced by years and years of of colonial attitudes, um, theologically speaking, too. It just, ugh, that wrecks me. That's so nuts. I think you had a question, too, Nate. Sorry. Or did you not have a question? Not so much. Oh, okay. No. <clears throat> nice. I do have one, but it's not related to what you're talking about mm. right now. But we can That's go good. into it. Sorry. I, I just, Eric said a lot of great things, so it yeah. came to my mind. Um, like, when I when I was listening to you, one of the, one of the questions that came to my mind that... Um, that I think a lot of people, when this conversation comes up, kind of walk through is um, you gave the example of the the pastor who's speaking, uh, mm-hmm. and he kind of references that great grandfather, his ancestor, who had very physically experienced mm-hmm. oppression and um, abuse because of his race. Um, and I think a lot of the conversation that comes up now when people uh, in just some people that I know, uh, is, well, that stuff is stuff that happened generations ago. Mm. I've never done that to somebody. Yeah. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So how would you guys speak into that mm. that like, idea? You mean like the sentiment like that happened to my great-grandfather, not to me, yeah. uh, and that I didn't do that. Like maybe my great-grandfather yeah. did, but I didn't do that, that sentiment. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think like when I think about uh, that question... Uh, there's like a quippy saying uh, that I think I, I usually try to say uh, that is is like we aren't the problem, but we inherited a problem, mm. uh, and and like to to think that that's not a part of our our reality is probably wrong of us to think. Mm. Um, like even you know like we like to think every generation is a little bit better than the previous. Mm. Uh, you know, like just in general, uh, we like to think that, you know, our generation is the better than the one that's come before us. Yeah. Uh, and and that's the hope of every every parent that that has mm. has kids. They hope their kids are are better versions of themselves. Um, 
but I think there's still uh, there's still roots of of the of the good and the bad uh, from what's come before us, um, and to think otherwise is is, is probably foolish. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you know like your your great maybe it's your great great grandparents, uh, th- but they grew up in a world where uh, like black people and white people couldn't get married. Uh, it was like illegal, and they grew up mm-hmm. in a world where like you know, black people were thought of as less than. Mm-hmm. And uh, to think that that idea hasn't seeped into, like, how you think uh, is just, um, I hate to say ignorant, because it's, uh, we, yeah, we like to fair. think of that super negatively, like, whoa, that's, like, the extreme. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, it, but it is, like, to, to think that you're completely separate from, from that mindset um, is wrong. Uh, and 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 you are not that mindset. Just like you aren't the problem. Mm. Um, like you aren't you know going out and killing people. You're not uh, actively hating people. Um, but there's like roots of that that might be uh, kind of passively in your mind. Mm. Um, like there's we talk about uh, when I've had this conversation with uh, like other crew staff and things like that. Uh, we talk about uh, like explicit bias, which is like yeah. outwardly excluding people or saying mm-hmm. things about people. Uh, but then there's implicit bias, which is just kind of like your your natural tendencies, like kind of the things going on under the surface yeah. um, of your world. Uh, and, and a lot of a lot of kind of racism and racial tension uh, in, in all of us uh, is m- more in that implicit world, um, which, which is great because it's evolved and in a lot of ways from this explicit, uh, form, uh, but to think that there's nothing implicitly going on, uh, mm. we're probably mistaken in that in that sense. Yeah, <clears throat> that's a great that's a really great description because I know that like I know that I'm I'm still in that journey to dis, to like reflect in myself a little bit as as a white man like what uh, one what does it mean to be, exist in a culture of my own because I still I mean I still have a culture I'm still I'm German. Uh, my family's, family's primarily German, and we've, in a weird, I say this in an odd way, luckily my family really accented their German culture. So the idea of coming from a culture and having a race is not, like, super weird mm-hmm. to me, uh, but that's been part of that self-reflection to say, oh, my gosh, like, I have, even knowing that, there's been so much of my life that I've functioned without any acknowledgement. One of my... That I that I am that I have a race, I have an ethnicity, I have culture that I come from, and two, uh, operating out of like the the good bad binary mode where I just kind of there's so much of my life I've if I'm really honest I've spent saying there's me there's white people and then there's not white people, and that's <laughs> that's got, that's been my categories for too long and so long and it's like I wow I I think some of what you said about like the the implicit bias it's almost like someone just took one of the, like they're, they're sifting for sifting for stuff out of a riverbed and they pick up pick it up out of like that strainer and like they're, you're sh- sifting through things and all this mm-hmm. only only <clears throat> not pretty things coming to the surface it's not gold it's really hideous things that are coming to the surface of myself speaking of hideous things mm. uh, i guess i share a quick story so my wife and i moved to delaware like a couple years 
like three or four years ago, and then we just had moved back to Wisconsin. But um, our first experience out east, we flew into Philadelphia, and before we went to look for apartments in Delaware, we we checked out Philly, and we went downtown, we parked, um, and uh, neither of us had really been on the east coast a ton. My family had done some vacations. My wife had never been out there. Uh, and so the the level of diversity on the east coast is significantly higher than here in Stevens Point. Um, and there's just... Um, Anyway, speaking of, we're just going to get back to the ugly thing. So we yeah. got we got in, we parked, and we were feeling pretty uncomfortable. There was a lot of things going on uh, on our drive-in. There was like a lot of there's a bike gang that went by, like a hundred kids on bikes there, and we were like, "What is going on?" Because it shut down the street. Hmm. There was uh, people um, yelling on street corners, different things, hmm. um, and so it was a very active place. So we immediately started feeling kind of uncomfortable. And then we got out of the car, we were walking. A couple people had come walking by us, didn't think about it at all. Uh, And then there were these two black men that were walking towards us. And uh, I know me personally, and after Jan and I had talked later, we we had both felt um, a level of discomfort we hadn't Mm -hmm. yet. Uh, And we were just because of what uh, our minds, that, that implicit bias that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember we just felt really uncomfortable and a little bit nervous about, oh, are we going to be okay? <laughs> Which, yeah. and, and so we got back to the car and um, we both felt ugly. Mm. We, we didn't realize uh, in ourselves that there was this bias towards these two men just because of the color of their skin. We had no idea anything about them. Yeah. Um, but there was this implicit bias. And um, I think, thankfully, through the, our years out in Delaware, um, we we grew a lot in that area and recognizing the ugliness. And God redeemed those things in us and mm-hmm. helped grow um, our hearts towards people. And although I would never have thought that I had that implicit mm-hmm. bias, mm-hmm. um, I did. And yeah. that was, that was really hard to, to feel. And, um, mm. I, I think I had this time out there that was super valuable in listening to people who, who come from different backgrounds and cultures and have those experiences of people being physically oppressed against in their family history, mm. um, of different races. And, um, I think listening was a huge part in learning uh, what it's like because most of my interactions were not with people who have those experiences and how that shapes the way that their their world is in yeah. their in their minds. So yeah. um, those implicit biases are were real for me, and I just didn't know it. Yeah, yeah. So some of those, Eric, you mentioned, and this this kind of wraps back to some of what you said earlier. Uh, you mentioned racism as a uh, as a power dynamic thing, mm-hmm. um, and. I think in some level that, like, so, I mean, have you have you guys read the book White Fragility? Have you read this book? I have not. Okay. So in it, he, <clears throat> author talks about um, why white people respond negatively when called racist. This is myself included. Like, mm-hmm. I've responded. I'm not a, typically, like, an externalizer when I have, like, negative feelings. I don't shout out things. Um, I usually just hyper-internalize those things and feel that tension. So, like being put in a racist camp for me was like, what are you saying? Oh my gosh, that's that's not even possible. No way. Um, but coming, uh, coming back to it, like he, he, yeah, that's what the book's about, but why white people feel 
initially why they feel really, really like insulted when you're referred to racist. But in it, he talks about racism in a, in a very different way than what I had grown up hearing. Um, again, the good bad binary thing treats means that white people, on average, implicitly without knowing that they do this, tend to, knowing that I do this, um, operate in discussions on race and like a just two option mode: white, non-white, good, bad. Um, moral, immoral. So racism becomes this thing where I'm like, oh, I'm not immoral. I'm a very moral person. How dare you say that to me? Um, so when you mentioned power dynamics, I think that kind of segues a little bit into the idea of unpack that a little bit more for us. Like, what is, what do you mean by power dynamics? And the racism isn't like me just doing perhaps little moral or immoral actions. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is uh, like back in. I'm not good with time, like dates in history, but sometime in early American history. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Before uh, today. Before Before today. today. (laughs) When uh, there was a lot of, uh, like, kind of warring going on between, like, Irish, Italian, uh, and, like, other, uh, like, ethnic groups um, in America, uh, they kind of created, in order to unite that and kind of stop that, which was a great uh, idea, um, they kind of started to create this dynamic of white. Mm. And so that, like, oh, we're all under the same banner, mm. and so, like, why would we fight each other? But then that, in that system, created a sense of, like, well, but, like, where do we direct that, <laughs> like, aggression and yeah. anger? So it created this interesting power dynamic of, like, white, uh, kind of the white culture became good um, mm. in an in, in, in effort of togetherness, but then, like, kind of whoever was outside of that became bad. And that's where a lot of the things kind of went to. Um, And so it's interesting because I was reading this book um, and they were talking about how, like, uh, like the Japanese tried to to become a part of the white uh, grouping. Uh, Because, like, white, like, when you think about it, like, uh, like a lot of Irish people look very different from German people. Yep, Um, totally. Like, you... If you really think about it, you can usually tell. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, a lot of America now has, has blended so much that, like, most people aren't just, just German or just Irish. Yep. Um, but if they were, um, you would see, like, a big difference in between the two for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, not to generalize or say everything's 100%. But, uh, <laughs> no, totally. and, so it's, and so it's interesting that, like, but we tend to categorize them in the same grouping. Um, and so it was interesting. I was like, oh... That's so fascinating that like, like maybe Asian people could have been white. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so interesting. But like it, it got like denied or whatever. Um, I don't. It, it seems it, like the way I was reading about it, it seemed like it was like a court case. But yeah, I was like, totally. That, that seems weird. <laughs> I think I remember reading something but about it, that too. It could actually, have been yeah. a court case. <laughs> it makes makes it even weirder. So yeah. strange. Well, that's like, and that goes. And I, I hate even saying this out loud, but like, I mean, it's in the, that book, Christian Imagination. Mm-hmm. They like, so this is as as recent as the 1800s that there are English, as in England, uh, theologians, like cl- saying that Japanese people are as close to white without being white, and they're far, they're a very intelligent culture, very witty. They're very like, they're like they're like, this English theologian is assessing their intelligence level based on like a skin color mm-hmm. it's insane like it's so explicitly insane where I'm like 
this guy's a freaking pastor. This guy's a theologian. Like, what are you saying? Mm-hmm. Like, horrible. Um, yeah, it's, anyway, sorry to address, that was just another side tangent of what you were saying. So, yeah. anyway. <clears throat> yeah, I think that, so that, like, has been interesting as I thought about it, um, that kind of initial dynamic. But I think, like, especially with the power dynamics, I think, especially for me as someone who kind of oddly identifies as white um, and not white, <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there are there are moments in that power dynamic where I feel the tension of, like, oh, like, isn't that how it always is? Or um, I, I've even noticed that, like, in my own life, like, just with power in general, like, not having to do with race necessarily... Uh, but like as as I if I'm the person with the power and as I start to lose that power, mm. there's a part of me that like rejects even that action happening, mm. um, and then rejects that there's even power to be taken wow. um, as it's like slipping from my grasp. Um, and I think that's like you know like when we think as Christians about like surrender, uh, like that's not a for most Christians it's not like a okay cool. Uh, like when we like slowly surrender our lives to God, um, maybe after we become a Christian, that maybe that initial moment is like mm-hmm. a bright light, obvious. Like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I need to surrender my life to to Christ. Um, but as we walk the Christian life, it's a it's a continual process of of like as we t- tighten our grasp yeah. on on our own lives for control, uh, we have to be reminded sometimes moment by moment uh, Mm -hmm. to relinquish that. Um, And I I think if, I think most Christians would recognize that to be true. Um, That is reflected in in every dynamic of power when power is being held or given, just like our, like God gives us the ability to try to control our own lives and usually fail Mm. uh, until we realize we need to give it to him. Uh, I think that that sh- idea of power is is still true in in every dynamic, and especially with uh, like the white culture being the dominant culture. Yeah. You know, even the, you know they say like twenty fifty, twenty thirty. I, I forget when, but sometime in the somewhat near future, uh, like white people won't be the majority in America. Mm, yeah. Even when that becomes true, uh, like white people will still be the dominant culture. Yeah. Uh, even though they're not not fifty percent uh, of the culture, which is going to be insane to think about. Yeah. Um, but I think like that's not that different from like the Egyptian Israel uh, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. power dynamic. You know, as as the as the Egyptians saw the Israelites rising up and maybe Multiple. gaining more population, mm-hmm. they were they started to fear that power being taken away from them. Mm-hmm. And they took drastic action. Um, and we look at that as Christians and go, like, dude, those Egyptians, like, yeah. dang, they were messed up. Like, who does that? <laughs> um, but, like, we look at American history and we see, like, the enslaving of uh, black people from Africa yeah. and, 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 and this whole dynamic of, like, white power being exerted. And as, you know, as, as we saw maybe, like, you know, slaves rise up as we saw, like, you know, the civil rights movement happen. There was a lot of, like, rub against that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think some, some, not all, but some of that was this, like, power dynamic of, like, we don't want to let this go. Um, and I think that's why we see 
a lot of the, the oppression that happened after slavery still happen mm-hmm. because, like, the power dynamic didn't want to change. Yeah. And so maybe, like, a social structure change, like, slavery was no longer a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, it kind of was. Like, there were a lot of, still a lot of exclusion, a lot of less than, a lot of hard to rise up uh, into positions of power. Uh, especially when I think of, this is a completely different thought, but when I think of the power dynamics issue, there's a sense of, like, if if you don't ha- have people in power that are like you, it's hard to, like, attain more power. Uh, like, if, if, like, there's no, uh, like, we'll just use Barack Obama as a great example for this, but, like, when he became president, that was, like, a sign to black people that, like, they could attain a certain position. There was someone in power vying for mm-hmm. them, uh, whereas before that, um, that maybe didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's an interesting dynamic of that, too. Like, you can't... Like, when we think about, like, this is a different idea, but, like, when you talk about, like, uh, like women and getting the right to vote, mm-hmm. uh, like, it was the kind of thing that they had to ask white men to give them. Like, mm. as much as they wanted it, uh, like, women could never just, like, decide, like, we're going to vote. Uh, they had to be granted that permission by white men uh, because they held the power. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's, I think that's kind of part of the power dynamic. I think what a, uh, I love the example that you brought up of um, the reality of Egypt and the people being enslaved there, because what a... What a huge uh, warning almost to mm-hmm. us in, in today in America if, if, if that trend continues to happen and if people in power um, and not in power, just us in our daily lives um, are starting to face that wrestling of, uh-oh, are we feeling threatened? Mm-hmm. And then it's more of the, what are we feeling threatened about? Like, why is this, why is this an issue for, for us in our hearts? So what a, what a viable warning for us, like in this phase of our our lives and um, on campus, uh, what do you see as some of those dynamics playing out? Have you seen um, any uh, cool stories of reconciliation or um, anything like that on campus? Yeah, I mean, I think on campus it's been interesting. And, you know, obviously, I think there's a lot of hurts that, that occur. Um, you know, I've. And actually, even before that, uh, can you give kind of the landscape of what what the. Um, what the people groups on campus are like? Yeah. Um, I, I would say, like, the, the college campus, at least here in Stevens Point at UWSP, is... Um, I, I, I think, like, sometimes I want to say, oh, it's, like, way more diverse than Stevens Point. Um, but, I, but I I man, I feel like Stevens Point has grown a ton in, like, just as the city of Stevens mm-hmm. Point, in, like the diverse people that are here. Um, Like, I'll be, uh, like, driving home around 3 o'clock to grab grab something uh, from home and and see, like, kids walking home from school. And there's, like, an overwhelming amount of ethnic minority kids walking home from school. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so I'm just, like, struck with this reminder Mm -hmm. that, uh, like, ethnic minority people are are here and, and, and do live here and... Um, are part of this community, and, and, and I think we tend to go w- w- like places that are familiar, and yeah. so I, and I feel like I experienced that on the college campus to like go to head that way. Um, like 
when I first got here, it was kind of like, uh, where are the ethnic minority students on campus? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because they're not showing up in the usual places that I tend to go, like the coffee shop, the right. uh, you know the, the this spot in the cafeteria, this academic building. Um, but as we started to like decode, uh, realized like oh a lot of like like Hmong students go to this specific area, and mm-hmm. I would go down there, and they'd be like. 30, 40 Hmong students just hanging out. Uh, and, and I think that's part of, we tend to group together with familiarity. Uh, we tend to group together with people that are like us um, because it's comfortable, um, which is both good and bad because then we're not getting to know other diverse people, uh, but also good because there are, are walls and barriers that don't need to get broken down when you're with people that kind of get you automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I don't know, the, the college campus is interesting because I think there's a lot of, like, pockets of, of ethnic diversity specifically that um, I think has, has been growing, and a lot of that has been kind of efforts of, uh, like, like administration, I don't know what, what you call it, like, the people that, like, recruit people to our school mm-hmm. um, have been pretty intentional with uh, reaching out to bigger cities to kind of diversify mm-hmm. the population here, mm-hmm. uh, which has been really cool, uh, and, and to give um, kind of our... Our student body a little a little a better grasp for what kind of you know, what you're saying like with the east coast like with a lot of what the rest of the <laughs> rest of the world looks like <laughs> right. yeah. um which is cool um but yeah i think especially i feel like a lot of the good that i've seen personally have been just through like through working with crew uh not to say that's the only place good is happening but I bet it's happening across the board. Uh, just the only stories that I know. Yeah, you're um, in it. I'm yeah. in it. You're in it. Um, but we host this. We host this event every year called Culture Night, which is super cool, and we just get an opportunity to highlight uh, like diverse cultures that are within our organization, uh, and like we invite majority culture people in to come and like experience things and hear people's stories, both of like great and hard mm. um, to, like, kind of connect each other in a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, we have, like, an or- we have, like, three uh, movement organizations off of crew uh, that are, like, trying to bring, uh, like, groups of communities together to kind of have those walls broken down mm. uh, culturally so that they can better understand the gospel in, in, a, in their context. Uh, like, one for, like, Asian students on campus called EPIC, uh, one for like Latino and Mexican students uh, called Destino, uh, and one for Black students uh, called Impact. Uh, and so like we we bring like those movements together and like have the leaders say some stuff. And mm. um, it's it's over the years it's been a really cool experience. And I know a lot of especially majority culture students have come away from it uh, going like oh like I didn't know that about so and so or I'm right. so glad that I like got to meet so-and-so from from a movement because now, like, I can, like, have those conversations with them. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of, uh, like, connection that happens happens in relationship. It doesn't happen in... Like, it does happen in learning. It does happen in reading a book. Um, but off, oftentimes it happens deepest in, like, an authentic relationship um, where you can have that kind of safety to ask the dumb question yeah. <laughs> and, 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 mm. and not... Uh, and be like, hey, this is going to sound dumb, but what if I, what, can I say this? Or is this okay to think? Uh, and have that person who understands that you're coming from a place of learning and love say, mm-hmm. 
like actually don't say that because that could be offensive or yeah. um, actually when you say that it, it makes me and other people like me feel this way mm. um, and those kind of clarifying moments out of love can be mm-hmm. can better us mm. um, and I think I've seen a lot of that uh, among our students specifically yeah. which is cool it's so easy to it is so easy um, I guess I guess the best I could speak of speak for is myself to be frustrated at the idea that people, like in in our in a postmodern world where individuals become their own authority and like the the upside of that, like we talked about this, I think in a previous episode too, is the idea that like that the upside is that uh, individuals in our society who have previously not have the ability to speak up and say like that actually offends me, and people care care enough to be offended that they are offended mm-hmm. somehow. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm making a weird face at that idea <laughs> from a Christian standpoint and the idea that, like, if if you have offended somebody, the notion that, that Christ speaks of is repentance toward that person. It's valuing that person, like a Philippians 2 idea, that Jesus, who is God, gave up all the rights, all the rights afforded to him as God, all the status and the power afforded to him as God came in the form of a mortal human being and not just a mortal human being, but an obedient servant level carpenter, average dude, mortal human being, uh, and then died <laughs> like on our behalf, people who certainly don't deserve it. Uh, and Paul roots, roots the idea of listening and repentance and valuing, literally saying, consider other people as more important than yourself and to not consider another person as more, more important than yourself when they tell you, Hey, when you say that kind of thing, that offends me. Like, it's so good that there's, that there's that individualistic idea that people can say that, but it's also really hard for people to say that because, because of the knowledge that people aren't going to respond like Jesus tells us to respond. And that's just such a, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, and, you think to yourself, I'm offended. Like, I'm offended that someone else is offended. Can't I just live in a culture and, like, not worried, be worried about offending people? Well, unfortunately, like, if you're unmarried, someday you're going to get married and you're going to offend your husband or wife. <laughs> someday you're going to be working someplace and you're accidentally going to offend somebody. That, that isn't just a racial issue. Offending people is not just a racial issue. Uh, but it will inevitably happen mm-hmm. in, a, in a racial sense. And it's just <clears throat> important to be able to stop... And like we said in the last episode about conversation, stop and start with listening. Don't start with talking and how you feel and how you are and how your culture sees things and how everything revolves around you. Start by listening to the other and listening to the other narrative and be willing to repent uh, for repent and lament history. I think that's that's some of Jeremiah's bent too, right? Is to stop and say, uh, Lord, like Jeremiah. Um, who is, who is considered righteous in God's eyes, like who is considered a prophet and a good dude, uh, is repenting individually on behalf of a whole nation for their stupidities. He's lamenting what they did and repent, repenting from that. And it is so easy. The downside of the individualistic aspect is that it is so easy to jump back into that, like, I didn't do anything and this isn't me. Well, you can still lament history. Lament that history has not met the ideal. Again, circling all the way back there, mm-hmm. right? Lament the idea that history has not met the ideal and repent 
for the little things and the little ways that you enact that every single day unknowingly. And now that you know, act differently, right? Um, so we, we are getting close to the end of our time here. Uh, any last comments, Eric, you'd like to add? Nate, you'd like to add anything there? I just threw the last comment thing at you. <laughs> Short <notice>. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, well, thank you for a fruitful discussion. Uh, in a in a graceful way, that's a uh, that's very helpful. Yeah. I mean, whether I mean wherever uh, wherever you're sitting in this in this journey of of racial understanding and um, listening and being willing to being willing to hear in this conversation, not just talk. Wherever you are in this, it's we can all acknowledge that racial tensions exist in America. Yeah. And this is important to talk about, and uh, it is helpful to address. From a Christian standpoint, so. and I think too, you know, conversations like we're having now, this is a—that's exactly what it is. We're just having a conversation. This is not something that's scripted, and so I think uh, if there are things that strike you wrong, that's okay because um, that's the opportunity to engage in thinking about this mm. differently or deeply, more deeply, and and seeking in. Maybe you know, who knows? I don't even remember what we said ten minutes ago. So there's a chance we said something that might not be completely right. And so mm-hmm. we're just having a conversation. Mm-hmm. We invite you guys to join in on conversations and thinking about this stuff and how can we walk uh, with integrity and how can we walk with humility yeah. uh, with a lot of different topics. So, yeah, um, yeah we're, not, uh, we're not the impetus of perfection when it comes to talking about this stuff or thinking about this stuff, mm-hmm. but we just really want to have the conversation. So that's kind of why we're here. But. Yep. Hey, no joke. Yeah, I think... Getting back to the any last thing, I think my one last, <laughs> yes. my from, one, a, from a note now to that actually I'm, yes now that I'm realizing <laughs> I do have one last thing. Love it. Um, I think like I would I would encourage uh, people that are like listening to this that are are Christian even if you're not but like if you are and you don't have uh, like ethnically and racially and culturally diverse people in your life. Uh, to ask these questions and mm. to have these conversations, yes. uh, like that might be really dangerous uh, to not have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 but don't don't just go out there and make a friend to use them <laughs> to have these conversations. <laughs> yes, yeah, like please. that's bad. Um, mm. But like, do genuinely try to make friends uh, or acquaintances or know people that you can be friendly toward. Uh, to have these conversations. They don't even have to be Christians, um, they, but they can know you're a Christian um, and know that you're trying to, like, learn and grow yeah. uh, and and be more Christ-like to the world because um, Christ was uh, always reaching across ethnic and cultural uh, mm-hmm. lines. Yes. Uh, and and I think, like, don't don't just, like, make a friend, like, like read a book. <laughs> yeah. Like, as simple as that sounds, there's tons of books out there that that talk about race, ethnicity, and culture. Um, and, like, do that. Like, learn a little bit about, like, history uh, and people mm-hmm. um, so that, like, when you go in, in your friendship relationship that you've made, uh, you can ask real questions um, and to think that you just have to idly sit by uh, and let the world pass by uh, mm-hmm. isn't, uh, like, what Christ is calling us to in general. Uh, and so that would just be... Some last thoughts. Yeah, that is so good. It is. That's, that's such, a place to finish, right? That there. is a great place to finish. On on that note, Eric Harmon, thank you so much for joining us. This mm-hmm. has been the Grow You podcast. Check back uh, next time 
whenever next time is. But we'll have more stuff for you. Thanks for listening to the Grow You podcast. If you have thoughts or questions, we invite you to continue the conversation online at the Grow You Facebook page. Come like the page, leave a comment, and share the podcast with your friends on social media. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And again, thanks for listening. finishing boom 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 yes this has that. been a presentation of <laughs> perfect ending i love it thanks for joining us have a great day bye bye